ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, and also people who aren't ladies and gentlemen, or boys and girls, or children of all ages, it is time for the Random Question Podcast with me, Rob, and... Me, Jill. The horse girl number two from your favourite <laughs> film. And we are here to talk about how to win an Oscar. It's, of course, relevant because the Oscars are this week. I, I don't know if we're going to get it out in time for for the Oscars, but like the Oscars are around now. Yay. Oh, have you seen any of the uh, the nominations, nominated films yet? I actually haven't. I used to, when I was younger, be obsessed with watching all of them. Yeah. Um, And I think sometime around when I went to university, so like 2014, um, because around the time of Oscars, you'd kind of be getting ready for exams. I just gave up and I haven't, th- I haven't thought about it since. Yeah. I'm doing a, an Oscar pool with some friends and, uh, I haven't watched all of the films yet. I'm actually going to watch them probably after this. Um, I literally didn't, I just didn't want to watch them until this came out. So, um, yeah, no, today we're, we're, we're talking about, as I said, how to win an Oscar. That's our, our random question. Yay. So the, the Academy, you obviously are like the Academy Awards. Do you know what the Academy actually is? It's a group of people who vote um, about movies. I don't know. It's the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Um, it is an invitation-only organization ran by its board of governors, and people become members when nominated for a competitive Oscar or are co-sponsored by two members of the Academy branch they're applying for. Do you know, like, when I say Academy branch, do you know what that kind of might mean? or Absolutely no idea. Okay. So I'm just going to list them because I have them here. Um, the, there are 17 branches, and here they are. Actors, casting directors, cinematographers, costume designers, designers, directors, documentary, executives, film editors, makeup artists and hairstylists, music, producers, public relations, short films and feature animation, sound, visual effects, and writers. Um, there are 54 people on the Board of Governors. That's uh, three for every branch and then an extra three. And only ha- just under half of those on the board are women. So when people talk about the, the makeup of the Academy, I think people talk about diversity a lot as well. Um, because, as you said, quite rightly, they're the people who vote in the awards. And sometimes the diversity of the industry or of just the movie going public isn't reflected in the actual films that are nominated, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, when, when someone kind of talks about the Academy and, like, who's in it, like, what do you kind of picture... Uh, I picture, like, a lot of men that all look like Quentin Tarantino. See, I picture, like, old men. Like, I picture, like, Dick Van Dyke, but not as cool. Oh, like, um, Clint Eastwood. Y- yeah. Not as cool. Yeah, kind of. And Clint Eastwood is not that cool anyway, so, yeah. No, see, I kind of see more, like, weird film people like Quentin Tarantino. Okay. Sorry, Quentin, if you're listening. So, foot foot people. That's fine. <laughs> foot people. Yeah, foot people. Um, and... Yeah, people who are strange with women. So do you mainly think old white men? Yeah. So, <laughs> a 2012 survey of over uh, 5,000 of the Academy's 5,765 members at the time uh, showed the demographic breakdown that the Academy was 94% white, 77% male, 86% of peop- of the members were aged over 50, and the median age of members was 62. So that's that's in 2012. That's exactly what I imagined. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's about 10 years ago. And uh, <laughs> um, in 2016, uh, an activist called April Rain, uh, who works with a company called Broadway Black, which is about uh, diversity in Broadway and in, in theatre, started a hashtag called uh, hashtag Oscars So White, 
um, because the nominee list that year was mostly white white people, um, and like there were very significant films by their starring or made by or uh, uh, black people and people of color, and they just weren't nominated. And the Academy actually really like tried to fight against this for a while, but after a few years, they kind of were like, no, actually, we do need to do better. So membership of the Academy is lifetime membership. It does not expire. So, like, even if you're, like, you know, horse girl number two, and you get, you know, supported as an actor in the Academy, like, you're still a member until you die, essentially. Like, it doesn't matter if you never become horse girl number one, or if there's not a another starring role. As long as you're in, you're in. Okay, time to get into the Academy. <laughs> Shake things up a bit. It's also really hard to get thrown out. So the there's only been five people that we know of that have been thrown out of the Academy. Like the, the, the Oscars, the Academy have said that like people who leak screeners have been thrown out. But these are five people that we know of. Uh, Carm- uh, Carmine Caridi, uh, who is an actor, uh, I think two of the Godfather films, uh, was expelled in 20, uh, 2004, uh, having been accused of leaking screeners, uh, which are the film's... Like the preview ones that are sent out to, to members to vote on. Har- Harvey Weinstein, for obvious <laughs> reasons, was was thrown out in tw- uh, 2017. And then in 2018, Bill Cosby and Roman Polanski were thrown out. And I, I think... <laughs> surprise, surprise. Yeah, I, I, I really think that uh, they were kind of like, oh, we should probably do this more. But like, there are a lot of really, really publicly well-known dodgy people that are not been thrown out yet. And the uh, the last person that's been thrown out was in March, actually, of this year. Uh, it was c- cinematographer Adam Kimmel, uh, who has worked on the film Capote, uh, Lars and the Real Girl, and the Fairy Tale of New York music video. Uh, and he was thrown out because a Variety article revealed that he was a registered sex offender, and they didn't know that. They keep track of their members, don't yeah, they? But yeah, back to the point where he said that people he got one of the guys got kicked out for like leaking the previews or whatever allegedly That's... he 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 turned it down yeah. he, he said he never did it and they just did it yeah he was the first person to be thrown out of the academy they definitely get leaked though because like back in the day when you used to stream things legally like before netflix and... or you'd get a dvd from your ma- your dad's dodgy mate in the pub yeah <laughs> they definitely say like property of the academy or like, uh for your consideration that. would pop up at the bottom every like 20 minutes yeah yeah, <laughs> I remember the good old days. The, the, the good old days that definitely haven't continued. Um, uh, <laughs> so actually, you know, uh, we kind of casually call them the Oscars. Why are they called the Oscars, Jill? I really don't know. <laughs> Please tell me. So it's not conclusive, but I looked through a few of the like stories and this one seems probably the most likely. So the actual award is called the Academy Award of Merit. That's actually what they're called. And uh, they are named, allegedly... For uh, Margaret Herrick, who was an executive director of the Academy and their like chief librarian for a long while, um, she said that the statue reminded her of her uncle Oscar. And one of the other more prominent kind of rumors is uh, the uh, the the actress Betty Davies, who said that the statue reminded her of her husband's ass. Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> um, the statues. Do you know what they're made out of? Uh, they're made out of metal. Yes, yes they are. They are currently made out of gold-plated bronze. And, like, the material it's been made of have changed over the years, depending on, like, the supply of, like, uh, what you know, what was available, whatever. Uh, it, during the Second World War, they were made out of plaster, like plaster of Paris. And then, after the war, people could trade in their plaster Oscars. 
Nice. How much do you, how much do you think uh, an Oscar would cost to buy? Like source material or like actually buy the the Oscar? Again, we're we're recording this if it if it releases after the Oscars, which would be bad SEO management by my part. But it, you know we're recording it way before, so let's just say uh, Riz Ahmed wins an award. He wants to sell it. How much do you think that's going to go for? A couple of thousand. Nope. I don't know how much. One dollar. So. <laughs> what yeah so before 1950 people like who won like recipients owned their statues since 1950 there's a clause put in that if you want to sell it you first have to offer it to the academy to buy back for one dollar that's so funny yeah we we have there are there have been some that actually have gone for sale um the academy have tried to stop the sale of them but have failed a few times uh, the most notable one was in 2011 uh, Orson Welles Oscar for Citizen Kane uh, which he won for best original screenplay it sold for do you want to give me a rough figure just a rough guess 15,000 I don't know higher much higher 1 million a tiny bit lower <laughs> uh, 700,000 yeah, it sold for 861,542 dollars which is nearly a million in today's money Wow, I think we should have kept guessing until I got that right. To be honest. <laughs> so okay, who who wins? Who wins Oscars? Who who rich wins people? Them? Rich people. Well, yeah, I guess. Um, White if, people. <laughs> right, well, I mean, predominantly, yeah. Uh, I I just wrote the phrase movies, lol. Like, yeah, of course, no shit. Like, what a dumbass fucking question. Why did I do that? Um, do you know how a film becomes eligible for an Oscar? No, like, I actually don't. Like, say we were to make a movie, like. Does it just become eligible? Like, do we just submit it? Like, what what happens? So I'm yeah, I'm guessing. Do you? Can I guess first? Okay, go for it. Would you put it into consideration for like a couple of awards ceremonies or like a couple of like film festivals? Maybe that is interesting that you bring that up. I'll come back around to that. So remember festivals. So this is how a film becomes eligible, and these this is a direct quote from their rules. A film must open in the previous calendar year from midnight at the start of January 1st to midnight at the end of December 31st. Like That's the time period. It doesn't have to be open for that long. In Los Angeles County in California and play for seven consecutive days to qualify. Additionally, the film must be shown at least three times on each day of its qualifying run with at least one of the daily showings starting between 6 and 10 p.m. local time. Excellent. So if we were to make a movie, we would have to... <laughs> get a theater in los angeles to run it for at least a week i only ever knew about this because an iconic movie now uh the the room tommy wiseau that masterpiece um inspired the disaster artist starring james franco came out a few years ago he ran that in la for at least a week purely to qualify to qualify for the oscars that's how delusional that man was but um what about covid rob like so they've made a change for covid uh, but it's very specific and it's literally that they've allowed streaming services to count for COVID. But they've said that the second they can, they don't have to do that, they're not going to allow it. So like even, so like one of the pictures nominated for best picture is Mank, which came out on Netflix. In a normal year, that would have to then go to theaters, at least like for the week in LA. I think uh, there's a movie a few years ago, a Manchester by the Sea, I think, was produced by Amazon Prime. So it's not totally strange, but even these online streaming services, if they make a movie, to go in for like consideration, it'll have to go to a theater in Los Angeles County 
for at least one week. The time thing is also weird because uh, The Hurt Locker, which won uh, Best Picture in 2009, uh, released in 2008 but didn't qualify for that year's Oscar uh, because its qualifying run in LA didn't happen until the next year. So like it, it, it was released two years before it won the award. Still won though. It's still, it's still <laughs> won. Um, you were saying about festivals. Um, so there are different qualifying rules for international movies. So, and short films, of course. Um, for international films, they don't have to play in LA or New York, but they have to then win. They have a list of qualifying awards. They have to win an award or they have to be uh, shown at these festivals. Just to be considered, it's not like you do this and then you you get nominated. It's, then you're into the pool for people to, to pick from. There's also like questions around what counts as an international film. Uh, I think it was the Golden Globes this year kind of had controversy because I think Minari was eligible because a certain percentage of it is in... I think it's Korean. I haven't seen the movie yet. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, it's Korea. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so a percentage of it is in Korean with English subtitles. And they were like, oh, yeah, that's an international film, even though it was produced in America with American actors and an American production company. Like, nothing about that was not American. Um, oh, and if you produce a, an international film, it has to be in a foreign language with English subtitles. So, <laughs> huh. Time to make a movie off Skilga, then. I'm telling you. So, and then how, how voting itself works. So... Most categories go by first-past-the-post kind of electoral system. So literally, you get one vote, you pick your film to nominate. Um, but Best Picture uses uh, instant runoff or alternative votes. So that's like PRSTD, like like the electoral system in Ireland, um, where you have like a rank, like you can choose like, okay, this is my favorite, and then this one, this one, this one, like with transfers and stuff like that. It is wild. And for the most part, only people in, like, certain categories can nominate or, like, vote on films in their category. So, like, actors vote for best actor, editors vote for best editing, etc, etc. Okay, I see how it works. Yeah, because I, I, <laughs> I, I genuinely always wonder. Um, it's, it's also, like, it, I remember we were saying there with the, the DVD screeners, the dodgy DVDs you'd get down the pub back in the mid-2000s. Um, they always used to pop up with the four-year consideration thing, and... You'll always hear that around kind of Oscar season because, like, they literally, people will literally do stuff where they'll, like, put up posters in parts of LA that they know that industry people live in or in New York. Like, they'll very specifically, kind of cynically just target these areas to just try and get their movie through because, well, I'll, I'll get on to that in a second. Um, have you ever heard the term Oscar bait? Yes, I have. What, what does it mean to you? Isn't that when um, someone like releases a movie that is kind of like made intentionally for Oscars? Yeah. So uh, I have I have a definition here. Uh, it was first used in 1948. That's our first like uh, documented use of it anyway. Um, it's generally defined as a quote term used in the film community for movies that appear to have been produced for the sole purpose of earning nominations for Academy Awards or Oscars. So yeah, you're, you're right. It's kind of a film that is thought to have been made purely to get an award. But like, do you know, do you have any kind of characteristics of like an Oscar or an Oscar bait movie? Like, is there anything you can think of that kind of sticks out? Yeah, actually, uh, you recently, recently, you just mentioned Mank a few minutes ago. Mm -hmm. And that stars Christopher Plummer, or no, Gary Oldman. And I feel like that's a bit of an Oscar bait. Just Gary Oldman. Just Gary Oldman. <laughs> and also the fact that um, it's meant to be, like, about the guy who finishes Citizen Kane, right? Yeah. And that's, like, such an iconic movie that it just feels like they did that 
purposefully, you know? They just put it out there. Or like Churchill or any of those kind of movies. <laughs> like, no one cares about Churchill anymore. <laughs> oh, you'd be surprised. You'd, you'd really... Ha- like, I know you have been away from London in a while, but, like, have you spoken to English people? They fucking love that guy. <laughs> like, any high-budget high war movie with a big name star just feels like Oscar bait to me. You're, you're, you're hitting a lot of the characteristics. There's one or two more that you haven't quite gotten. Um... I'm trying to think now. Uh, I guess probably any movie about like a prominent historical figure as well, I presume, would be Oscar bait. There's one big one. Starring a person who's won lots of Oscars? I don't know. Okay. An Oscar-winning director? I don't know. So I'll, I'll, I'll go through the, the list of them. So a key one is actually when the film is released. So if you release a film at the beginning of the year, like, like in January, like the beginning of eligibility, genuinely, there's a fear that the nominators or the people who like will put you forward that they will have forgotten your movie came out. Yeah. So it's genuinely a tactic to release it later in the year, just before people go to nominate it them. So like if you if you watch a film in January and you love it, and then you watch one in December and you really love it, and you're like, oh yeah, I really like this film. Oh yeah, I remember liking Lord of the Rings or whatever. I really, I remember liking that. But eh, you know, here's this new film. Um, so that's genuinely a thing. Period dramas are a big yes for Oscar bait movies. So as you said, you know, Churchill or any historical period, anything like that, they'll, that's seen as just like, that's an easy kind of get because people can relate to it. They know about it. And it's also easy to like, you, you can talk, like you can aim at like a lot of technical awards. So like uh, Dunkirk a few years ago, Christopher Nolan, if I remember correctly, didn't win that many like quote unquote big awards, but it did win like editing, sound production and all these ones. And it's like, wow, like that's that's trippy and also if you're putting that on a poster you know five academy awards like it doesn't people aren't going to be like oh it must be in costuming they're going to presume it's like oh best picture or whatever and that's why the timed release as well is that a lot of films will release late in the year and they'll just do like a private release essentially for oscar people and then a public release after a nomination so they can say you know look it's this oscar nominated movie and people will go out and see it you know i actually care about the like best costume and stuff and makeup oh i mean i, I just I, think I, I do as well i'm not slamming it i'm just saying that like when they see oscar nominated people don't think of that they do think of this movie must be really oh, good actor or best picture. Yeah, yeah like i like, guess in something that like will directly affect the film because like there are some really bad films with really great costumes like like that's kind of what i'm getting at i suppose not to not slamming any seamstress or seamsters is there a generic uh, tailors i guess is a is a genderless term for that i'm not quite sure um Costume makers. Costume makers. Costume designers. The one you didn't quite get, like the, the, the Oscar quality, is significant adversity and overcoming <laughs> that. So typically it'll be like a physical or a mental disability. Okay. I can't think of any movies where someone overcomes a physical or mental disability. So Maybe like Silver Linings Playbook. An example would be something like that, or like Forrest Gump, or My Left oh, Foot. Oh yeah, Forrest Gump. Like, like, like if you think about it, like it's, it's, it's something that is gone for. And is usually it doesn't hit, like people don't hit that. A Rain Man is a is probably the classic example, uh, with Dustin Hoffman and Tom Cruise. I feel like this uh, category's kind of died off recently, because I can't think of modern movies. Uh, Ray, uh, The King's Speech. That also falls into it does prominent historical figure. But see, the thing is that some a lot of the time they will that hit both. That hit a lot of ones because that's the thing with Oscar bait is they want to they want to hit everything. Um, the other kind of elements that are maybe less talked about, what they kind of are more background ones, are um, political intrigue or politics. So, um, Spotlight. Churchill movies. Churchill movies. 
like uh, this year there's a trial of the Chicago Seven. There's a and Judas and the Black Messiah. Like I actually have a list of of this year's best picture nominees and if they hit any. And um, also ones and this is one I always remember. Or I always talk about is the uh, looking back at the industry itself or an inward look about Hollywood. So um, the artist was really big a few years ago. And <laughs> you don't hear anybody talking about it. Um, Mank actually nominated this year. I remember when it came out not hearing good or bad things i didn't hear anything and then it's nominated for i think the most oscar thing it's like nine this year and i've asked people who've seen it like is it really good or is it just like is it just the oscars like like that it's they the academy loved themselves and people are like eh, it's a bit of both so yeah la la land that was another one yep all that like that kind of inward look on, on entertainment one film when people talk about oscar bait that they always point at is the deer hunter Jill, have you ever seen The Deer Hunter? No, I haven't. I actually haven't heard of The Deer Hunter. Oh, it's a very good film, but very fucking depressing. Um, It came out in 1979, or ooh, 78, apologies. Uh, it stars Robert De Niro and Christopher Walken and, and other actors whose names I just can't remember right now. And it's about these guys who are, God, I think they're metal workers. And basically they they go off to fight in the Vietnam War. They're in, they spend time in a POW camp and it's just about how war changes them. And how it, how it kind of molded them. It's really fucking depressing. The studio, when they were releasing it, they did some test audiences, I think, in New York. And they discovered that audiences were really fucking bummed out about this depressing movie. And they were like, how the fuck are we going to market this depressing-ass shit to people? Like, even in 1978, like, what are we going to do? And especially, like, it's about the Vietnam War. Vietnam is still fresh in the memory, you know? It's, like... Jeez, I can't even think of a comparison now, really. Like, I guess the uh, the war in Afghanistan. I don't know if that had the same kind of cultural cachet. Well, here, not. But in America, maybe. Although, I suppose they did that with 9-11. There were a lot of 9-11 movies. But anyway, so the studio hired this guy called Alan Carr. Not not the British uh, gay guy with big Medium. teeth. Yeah, not, not that guy. Um, Just someone else called Alan Carr uh, to help with the marketing of the film. And his idea was to do a limited release in Los Angeles and New York. Because he thought, or he knew, like I was saying a minute ago, but for for your consideration campaigns now, he knew that a lot of Academy members lived there. They would see the film, love it, not because it's it is a very good movie. It's just really depressing. Nominate it, and then they would use the nominations as a way to market the film, and that is commonplace now. We were just talking about it. It was new then. This was kind of the first big attempt. So when people talk about Oscar bait, it's not necessarily a derisive term, but like. This was quite literally Oscar-based to push our movie. Interesting. Yeah, it ultimately won uh, five Oscars, including Best Picture. Another example is Crash. Do you, remember, do you remember Crash at all? I do remember Crash. What year did that come out? Like, early 2000s? Yeah, it came out in 2004. It won the Best Picture in 2006, though. So, kind of like uh, The Hurt Locker. Do you remember anything about Crash? Um... <laughs> I know it's about a... Crash? car crash yeah it's it's one of the it's it's kind of like you're talking about tarantino it's very kind of like that kind of style of there's a central event and then there's lots of different stories kind of bounce off that um it i actually watched it recently enough um it is a uh, this is this, the description i got from a very neutral source like wikipedia or something uh it's a 2004 crime drama film that tackles uh racial tensions in la it's a well-directed movie but it's a really badly written movie, which is a problem because the director wrote the film. So it's one of those ones where it looks great, but oh my god, <laughs> it's really bad. 
it was nom- it wasn't nominated for a lot of awards and then it was suddenly nominated for an Oscar. Do you remember any films that were also nominated that year? Uh what year are we talking about? Uh, about 2006. The Departed? No, so it's just, I think that was 2007. Um I'm trying to think what else came out like Shrek 2. Yeah, it was Crash and Shrek 2 neck and neck. Um <laughs> I mean I I I I don't have a problem with that but the Academy might. So the films that were came out that year, uh, Capote is one. Actually mentioned it earlier. Uh, Good night and good luck. Uh, Munich, Steven Spielberg's movie about the 1972 Olympics uh, and the bombing at that. Uh, and Brokeback Mountain. Crash beat Brokeback Mountain. Yes, it did. That's crazy. Apparently, again, this is all hearsay and rumor and whatever, but it's kind of one of those ones that is generally accepted as yeah, it's probably true, but not confirmed. Um, because it's all secret ballot. The Academy, like we were talking about their makeup in 2012, was 94% white. Uh, you know, like old straight dudes. Like, ooh. Apparently, the depiction of like LGBT relationships was a bit too spicy for the Academy in 2005, 2006. And even though Crash tackled like a like a hot button issue, like, a, like racial tension isn't like an easy kind of milk toast movie it was enough of, like, a film that was, like, they couldn't... You couldn't accuse the Academy of being, like, too safe by giving it to the movie about race relations. Um, the problem with that is that Crash ha- tackles race relations in a terrible, terrible way. Um, there are parts of the film where you go, wait, is this movie trying to get me to relate with these racists? And, like, I, I-, I know that, ra- you know, racists are people and they have their own things, but, like, it, tr- it it does it in such a way that it's trying to ju- like almost justify their racism. It's really weird. I recommend going back and rewatching it just because like how how it tackles racism as if it's like an individual problem and not a systemic one is fascinating in a terrible terrible way. So that is the rumor is that the Academy felt that Crash was just a safer pick than the gays at the time. Now in 2015, uh, the Hollywood Reporter that kind of just shows how. They pick trends. Yeah, you know, absolutely, yeah. And um, again, it's like you, it's it's hard to talk, like to, to really kind of get this to people, especially because you know as you go on, time kind of gets a lot looser. Um, two thousand and four, like the mid two thousands, like to tackle like gay relationships and stuff like that is genuinely in such a big film is huge. Like it is actually very risky because like. In film, gay relationships in that kind of high-level, public, mainstream, blockbuster, essentially, movies wasn't something that was quite as done. And even though now it wouldn't be seen as any big thing, necessarily, like... it, it like It's crazy, though, because I feel like if Brokeback Mountain came out, like, this year, around this period of time, it would definitely win. Because I've re- I watched that recently enough, well, by recently, maybe, like, two years ago. But it's just such a significant movie that it kind of sticks with you yeah and nobody remembers crash other than the fact that it was kind of probably undeserving for an oscar yeah whereas like everything about brokeback mountain was just incredible and heartbreaking so in 2015 the hollywood reporter pulled hundreds and again remember there's about five and a half to six thousand members pulled hundreds of academy members to revisit like various like controversial awarding like, so, you know, uh, oh God, what was another one? Uh, Marissa Tomei, or Tomei won uh, Best, I think, Supporting Actress for My Cousin Vinny. That was seen as controversial. They re again, only hundreds, and they wouldn't be the same members, necessarily. 
And like, so when they polled people, like they said, oh no, Marissa Tomei deserved that award. Um, for for the Crash year of Oscar, like best picture, um, Crash came last in 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 polling. Like, it's not that it was like yeah. Brokeback Mountain was better than it. It was like Capote was better than it, uh, which is Philip Seymour Hoffman, really great film. Uh, Good night and good luck. Uh, Munich again. Munich, I think. I remember watching it at the time. I haven't seen it since, but I remember that kind of skirting the line of like, yeah, this is good, but I don't know how good it is. Like, and no, Crash is at the back of the pack. And if you ever read a list that is like worst movie to win best picture, uh, Crash usually tops that list. So, oof. Yeah, it hasn't it hasn't aged well against Brokeback Mountain anyway, for sure. And I haven't watched. Maybe I have watched Crash, and I've just completely forgotten about it, but. I um, I remember watching it at the time, and the only thing I remembered is something that happens at the very end of the movie, uh, and like there's people like I I forgot that uh, uh, oh god I, I always want to say Brendan Gleeson Brendan Fraser Brendan Fraser is in Crash, uh, Don Cheadle is in Crash like there's a lot of great actors in that and it just nope just it's it's bizarre and like the director has done some really like he did some dodgy things in that film uh, that I'm not going to get into just because they can be quite upsetting but yeah. Whew, not a fun one to look at the IMDb kind of trivia stuff. Crash, as you, as I said, mostly forgettable except for the fact that it shouldn't. Have, people generally believe that it did not deserve to win the Oscar. Yeah. In 2014, uh, some two sociologists from UCLA examined data from uh, the IMDb, or sorry, from 3,000 movies on IMDb for films released between 1985 and 2009, to see what genres and subjects were most likely to gain nominations. So, I asked you already what do you think are, like, the most Oscar-friendly kind of stuff. What do you think is, like, you um, put it in your movie, you're on, like, you're impossible to get a nomination. I, I mean, I don't... I have things that are coming to mind, and I just don't want to, like, offend anyone, but I think it's kind of the truth. I think maybe um, a fully diverse cast... Okay. For example, like an all gay cast or like an all black cast, maybe. I don't know. I just don't see very many diverse movies in the Oscars or like representing like actual disabled people. So according to their study, they they have a a number of like keywords or genres that they kind of picked out. So these are the three that did the best according to their survey. Again, it's not of films that won Oscars or nominated them. It's just 3000 films from 1985 to 2009. The three top kind of Oscar ones that do best are war movies, historical epics, and biopics. So, what we were saying earlier, what we when I asked you yeah. before, giving you any prompting, when I said Oscar bait go, this is what you described, right? The keywords that ranked at the bottom of the list were women, <laughs> zombie, <laughs> breast implant, and black independent film. Yes. I, yeah, I thought that. I saw that doing my research and went, oh wow, this is... Whew! <laughs> um, they did a study of the... Um, so then they looked at what film hits the most Oscar bait things. So the quote, most Oscar bait movie of the film studied was at 1990's Come See the Paradise, which starred Dennis Quaid. Uh, have you ever heard of that movie? I have actually, I, but I can't tell you anything about it. I've never heard of it, so this is amazing, uh, before doing this. Uh, so in it, Dennis Quaid plays a projectionist, so that's the industry, in 1930s, 40s New York and LA, so that's a bit of history there, who falls in love with a Japanese-American woman, and then after Pearl Harbor, he's drafted and his wife is put in an internment camp. Wow. There <laughs> is not many more beats they can hit, really. <laughs> and they have a gay child. 
Honestly, yeah. Um, the least Oscar bait movies were a 2006 remake of a 1979 cult horror, When a Stranger Calls, Hotel for Dogs, and Barbershop 2 Back in Business. Hotel for Dogs? Excellent. Apparently not for not if you want to win an Oscar, you know? <laughs> now, I should say, there is pushback against the phrase Oscar bait. Some critics saying it reduces the motivations of a filmmaker like tackling serious subjects to just trying to get awards, and I think that's fair. Like I, I'm sure there are people who really just want to make a movie about, let's say, the Holocaust. Um, that was one example of a setting that came up a lot when I was doing research. Was, you know, so maybe you know, as I said, Steven Spielberg wanted to really make Schindler's List. I don't have any doubt in that. But by putting that down to wanting to win an Oscar, it kind of minimizes, you know, their intentions. Um, and another another critic said that it uh was a form of anti-intellectualism, uh, and uh, that can go fuck itself personally. But, like, Oscar baiting makes sense. Like, that'd be like going to university and being like, oh, I'm happy to just get a degree as opposed to I want to do well in my degree. Like, I'm sure directors are happy making movies for themselves, but at the end of the day, they, like, they're all fighting to be the best, aren't they? You know, like, you want to be, you want to be remembered as the person who, like, won awards and the Oscars is kind of, like, the award to win. There's also, I, I actually don't have these written down, but there's also a study that was done that basically talks about how after winning an Oscar, it drastically changes the careers of actors and directors and producers and things like that. In that, like, I think it was, like, Natalie Portman, like, her fees went up in the millions overnight. Uh, Halle Berry as well I think it might have just been Harry Berry maybe not Natalie Portman but like Halle Berry definitely after winning Monsters Ball uh, an Oscar for Monsters Ball like it her fees went like skyrocketed and the roles she was being offered and considered for changed overnight so it does actually make a material difference to people's careers as well yeah and then you see constantly once you get into the fold you're kind of there for life like that's why the same actors are constantly nominated it's like a small pool mm. Again, like going back to Crash, it's just an easy example. Um, it's very dumb. It's not. It's not a very smart movie. And like to say that to call that Oscar bait is anti-intellectual. It just doesn't. It doesn't pass muster. Like it just does not work out. So I don't know about that one, Chief. But I think there's something maybe to say that uh, it might be something to park for the most part. If uh, just to kind of maybe trust that directors are well, maybe not studios, but directors and are artists and they're just making the art because they want to, not because they want to win an Oscar. So use of the term Oscar bait also peaked in 2004 when Crash came out uh, and then was stayed up for, like stayed popular until Crash won and then it plummeted. So like literally there's a Google, like Google Trends kind of thing, like chart and it's like flatline, 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 Crash goes way up, way, way, way up and then down after Crash kind of does. So I think we can literally put its popularization down to, down to Crash. Yeah. Do you have a favorite Oscar, uh, best picture movie? Ooh, I would honestly probably have to look up. Like I'd have to look up what's one. Um, The Deer Hunter is a really good movie. Wouldn't be my favorite necessarily. Do you? Do you have one? Um, yeah, I I probably do. Um, I'm trying to think. I think maybe The Departed was really good. Million Dollar Baby. I quite like that movie as well. The director of Crash wrote Million Dollar Baby, by the way. Oh wow! Well, <laughs> Million Dollar Baby's good. Yeah, I like The Hurt Locker as well, but I like the director of The Hurt Locker, Catherine Bigelow, because she directed Point Break. 
I'm, I'm, I'm looking through a list here. Um, I liked Argo at the time it came out. I know some people have soured against it, but I, I quite liked Argo. Oh, American Beauty is excellent as well. Silence of the Lambs, pretty good. Ooh, actually, I, I just recently rewatched um, Rocky and that one, Best Picture. And the, honestly, like people, again, soured on that. In one of the polls that I was talking about, the Hollywood Reporter polls, people judged that it shouldn't have won Best Picture winner that year. Um, I disagree. I think it's a fantastic movie and it's better... It's always better than you think it is. Like, if you go back and watch it, there's some real heart there, and it's all down to Stallone. So I, I, I'm going to put Rocky. Rocky's my choice and my favorite Best Picture winner. That's a good choice. So having gone through what wins an Oscar, what has won an Oscar, and the concept of Oscar bait. Now, you, I, I, I can't remember if it was before we started recording or if it was not. You said that a lot of times when you talk about what wins an Oscar, the Academy will, like, always remember your name that you'll never win one so this exercise might be completely fruitless but if you but i might not ever win an oscar <laughs> but if you were to pitch a, a movie purely to win an oscar do you have any ideas off the top of your head okay so uh war veteran okay um what war with a <laughs> jeez can i can i like set the year as well go for it so maybe like war veteran um and the even though the movie's like directed and made now, uh, it's set in like the nineteen seventies, so he's like an older dude. Like like he a... survived World World War Two. Oh, okay, I was gonna say Korean War, but okay, World War Two vet. Okay. Yeah, an older World War Two vet, and um, he's down on luck, uh, but he's got a good heart, and um, he rescues animals, and he has a very racist family, but he falls in love with an asian woman so you're you're literally just making that dennis quaid movie again but changing his job from projectionist to war veteran well you to be fair you said make a movie for an oscar bait okay so like i just wrote i wrote down all the oscar bait stuff earlier okay so i was just putting i was just putting them all together so yeah and you said that dennis quaid movie was the biggest oscar bait so yeah but I mean, it, it was gonna work out the same but it didn't win or get nominated for any oscars <laughs> well maybe mine will okay i i you said you couldn't remember the movie so all right, fair enough you know maybe, maybe the, the academy will be like wow this is so original <laughs> um i i actually i have a pitch i i have a again it's the advantage of doing the research for this i had time to prepare a pitch okay it's a biopic the working title at the moment is bruno but i feel like a that sasha baron cohen movie from like 2012 will probably ruin the seo so might have to workshop that one. It is the story of a man called Bruno Sammartino, who as a child, in the, and this is all real, this happened, in the 1940s in Italy, he survived the Nazis by hiding in the mountains, despite him being deathly ill for most of the time, and also his mother would frequently sneak into their town that had been taken over by Nazis to, like, find food. One time she got captured. All, all this is real. He came to the US in 1950 at age 15. He did not speak any English, and he was, like still quite sickly like he had recovered but hadn't recovered physically fully so he was bullied because of his bullying he turned to weightlifting he almost got selected apparently for the olympic team in 1956 in 1959 he set a bench press world record so okay we're, we're hitting historical fic like historical time periods it's a biopic he had a he overcame adversity both the nazis and his illness and bullying and then he became a professional wrestler as a way to make money. And where did he professional wrestle? In New York City, in Madison Square Garden, 
the world's most famous arena. So boom, you're hitting Hollywood and you're hitting the entertainment industry as well. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a winner. Yeah. You should write the, you should write the script. I might do. Copyright. Uh, I, I have John Berenthal in my head to play Bruno. They look quite similar. That's uh, Shane from The Walking Dead. He was um, yeah. Punisher in the Marvel. Punisher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been in lots of stuff. So yeah, I have here, it's a biopic. It was a war historical aspect to it. And being set in the 1970s and 80s New York in the latter half means you can involve the entertainment industry. Uh, and also I have a fun, fun Bruno Sammartino fact. Uh, you know Bruno Mars, the singer? Yes. Yeah, he and his dad were big fans of Bruno Sammartino in, the, uh, in his childhood. And he used the name Bruno from this wrestler uh, as his stage name. So Wow. And it cuts to the last scene in the movie. And it's just Bruno Mars on stage being like, this one's this one goes out to Bruno. And then you can tie in that if we get Bruno Mars to do a song for it, it could be... Oh, wow. There's another another category there. Best original song. Boom. Best original song. Um, I have some, wow. I have some other brief scenarios. Um, just like literally bullet points. I think a Princess Diana movie coming out at some point in the next 10 years is probably going to gonna do it. Potentially, yeah. It, it just depends on uh, how people feel towards the royal family because I feel like people aren't too happy with them at the moment. Yeah, but I feel... It's not a very But I feel like the people who topic. aren't a fan of the royal family... Like, well, actually it is because they're really popular now. Uh, sorry, they're really notable now. <laughs> but I think that... I, <laughs> people who hate the royals will love a Diana movie and people who love the royals will also watch, at least, a Diana movie. So I feel like there's some... There's some money in them there hills, at least. Or a Grace Kelly movie. Yes. Very good idea. I also have a Stonewall, although I admit that's very risky. Because <laughs> a Stonewall movie, like about the, the Stonewall riots that kind of kickstarted the LGBT movement in the US in the 60s, I think. Oof, should know that. Anyway, it's risky because it's mostly black trans people. That's not something that typically goes well with the Academy or, or uh, traditionally. It's a bit more of a risk to the point that when a director called Roland Emmerich made a movie about Stonewall a few years ago, that, that all the people of colour and all the trans people were replaced with these blonde white dudes. <laughs> weird how that happened. Um, it's also weird that Roland Emmerich is a, as far as I know, blonde white dude, huh? Hmm. Uh, and gay. So, uh, and I also, and this is relevant to, uh, to Cork people and also just to you know, fans of, of history in the kind of abolitionist period it was uh, Frederick Douglass I think a biopic about him would be really really cool and I think it would do well is there any other like um well-known mainstream people like probably deceased who you think there could be a movie of because I'm thinking what like Kurt Cobain maybe maybe in the next 10 years someone might do like some sort of Kurt Cobain series or movie yeah like I I think that like a Freddie Mercury movie it did well but it wasn't very well made. Yeah. Bohemian Rhapsody. I think it's still it's still Rhapsody. got a few nominations as far as I remember. It, it definitely did at the Golden Globes. Um, or not, is it Golden Globes? I can never remember what the secondary one is. I actually went to see that movie in the cinema. What's a cinema? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what is a cinema? Hmm. A movie theater. And I left, and I was just disappointed. Mm-hmm. It was just disappointing i haven't i haven't seen it yet i won i still think sasha baron cohen who's attached to that movie forever would have been prob no, nothing against is it remy malik i think got it in the end like yeah. nothing against him i just think sasha baron cohen is fucking perfect casting and i saw one or two scenes of it and just the editing is distractingly bad that it just really put me off watching the movie forever and it won best editing yeah that was one of the ones that was like like it's it's again like I remember Get Out a few years ago was nominated for, for for best picture but it didn't it won like original screenplay or something 
and it's it's not a it's not that it's a bad screenplay or a bad script actually i haven't read the script but it's not that it's a bad movie it's just that you can clearly tell that sometimes in some people's heads there's that kind of again this is all supposition from my part that they're like i should give it something but i'm not going to give it the big award i'm going to give it the smaller award that sometimes with these movies that's why like a stonewall movie properly done might be a bit risky because it's a bit too you know like quote for lack of a better word edgy that i think sometimes people might be like a bit scared to give that i just think you'd have to like start a campaign like tactically beforehand Mm. that like brings to light all the events and then you know like really get like a movement going and then when you release the movie then people will be like wow really good timing (laughs) there is Okay, like I, I, my movie pitch was was Bruno Sammartino. I always bring up wrestling in these con- like contexts, but Vince McMahon is the most fascinating fucking human being in the world. Like, genuinely, there's a, a podcast called How to Wrestling. Um, who did an episode on Vince McMahon? I think it's like three hours, four hours long. It's a really long podcast, but it's so good that like I've recommended to people who don't follow wrestling at all, and just his life is crazy. Like, son of a really rich promoter in New York, but was like discarded essentially to a trailer park in like North Carolina, and like fought people. Was in like a biker gang, I think, at one point. Eventually moves up to New York to work for his father. He fund like he promoted like the Snake River Canyon Jump, which was an evil Knievel thing that failed. That's parodied in a Kanye West music video uh he was involved in just all these crazy things and he himself is such a it's basically a Vince McMahon film would be so interesting but I think people wouldn't believe it's real but I think that it's so it's so weird it might lose out on the big the best picture one but I think it's a dead cert for like original screenplay that's that's my thought anyway but yeah he's also alive he's not dead that was your kind of category there yeah yeah I mean people could still be alive but I don't know I just don't think um going to see uh like a biopic about a living person has as much appeal as like revisiting a dead person. Oh, I, I Tanya though. Yeah, that's true. Oh, actually, um, and one that's good is oh my god, uh, her. I, I, I just have the name Nancy Kerrigan stuck in my head. It's not Nancy Kerrigan. Monica Lewinsky. Monica Lewinsky Monica movie Lewinsky. would be, I think, fascinating, especially in that I Tanya mold of like people that society shunned at the time and don't really know anything about. I think you can fit, even if they're alive, you can fit people into that mold. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you can. I think it's interesting, though, that we've been talking about how to win an Oscar, but we haven't really been talking about, like, the one that people kind of focus on a lot, and that's, like, best actor or actress. See, you know? when I when I think of Oscar bait and Oscar winners and how to win one, like, I think it's hard to manufacture, like, because we're talking about, like, you know, trying to make a, like, make a movie or make something to win an Oscar. I think it's harder to manufacture that best actor kind of actress stuff. But it isn't that hard to manufacture, though. Okay. In a sense, because, like, it is manufactured. Like, almost everybody in who wins an Oscar, like, will come from, like, either a wealthy background or they have famous relatives. Yeah, like, like N- Nicolas Cage is the nephew, I think, of Francis Ford Coppola. He, he won an Oscar. I, I see. I still think that there's a lot more room, like, like wiggle room. If you're, again, if you're white pr- predominantly, like, uh, this year, one of the big uh, controversies is that the two lead actors in uh, Judas and the Black Messiah were nominated for best supporting actor for some reason i wonder why but I, I think that like it's a lot easier once you win an oscar to like for best like an individual one it's easier to stay in there like you're talking about gary oldman that like getting gary oldman in your movie is a really good way to get nominated because he's a good actor and the academy like him yeah but it's hard to become gary oldman 
is my point. Oh yeah, no, it's absolutely very difficult to become an esteemed actor, but I think all the actors that are up there aren't entirely up there because of their own merit. Mm -hmm. You know, like either a director like took a liking to them and then they've kind of worked with them, like kind of like Tarantino's got a lot of actors who kind of repeat in his movies. Yeah. It's a lot of directors of actors that kind of they work with and and also like the academy do like that kind of story of like you're talking about Tarantino. One of his big things is finding an actor that no one is talking about and you like almost raising them up. So like John Travolta in Pulp Fiction, like he was like a washed out '70s star. Mickey Rourke in The Wrestler was a Darren Aronofsky film, like complete nobody samuel l jackson well who everyone forgets about until he's in a tarantino well, he, again. well I, I disagree on that one but like he he goes in and out of movies that are at least of quality <laughs> but like there's a lot of kind of things like that like uh, uh to an extent lady gaga like an outside person coming in sometimes that can work for them as well you know yeah absolutely which is why mark Brendan Wahlberg Fraser. is gonna win an award um well, Brendan Fraser is the opposite problem where he had a, a, a an altercation with a senior kind of Hollywood producer. Um, again, allegedly, allegedly. Uh, he spoke out about it and didn't accept it. And he was essentially blackballed for years. Like, there's a reason he's only just kind of started coming back recently, you know? Yeah, yeah. kind of scary. I mean, the amount of, like, incredible female actresses as well who kind of just vanished and no one really said, oh, where's this actress gone? You know, they just they just vanished. And then you find out later that they, like, went to a party with Harvey Weinstein <laughs> and, were, and were never seen again. An actress that comes to mind is uh, Mira Sorvino, okay. who is in Mighty Aphrodite. Okay. And she won the Best Actress Award for it. Mm-hmm. And literally, it was a Woody Allen movie, by the way. Uh-huh. Um, she, was, she was literally never seen again, pretty much. Yeah, another actress I saw recently that got blacklisted was um, Alicia Stil- Silverstone. Oh yeah, she was in uh, Batman and Robin. From Batman and Robin, because um, apparently, like some of her male co-stars on set were calling her fat in the was a Batwoman suit, and that like blacklisted her from Hollywood because people are like, "Yeah, you're a bit chunky." Yeah, and she looked she looked great. <laughs> people do talk about that kind of typecasting, that idea that like even if you don't fail, if people consider you a failure they're going to think you're the failure and you know she looks fantastic or she was she wasn't not that being overweight or fat is a problem i speak from experience they just went oh no she's the you know the fat person or the old person or the whatever person that pigeonholing is kind of like it can ruin someone's career yeah so looking looking at the oscars this year jill right do you know do you know what the the best picture kind of nominees are um (laughs) no not really i know mank is nominated for quite a lot I know that. Uh, is Stephen Young nominated, or is it just his movies nominated? Yeah, he he's nominated. Yeah, I'm just going to bring up the best the best picture uh, nominees. So, as, as you said, Mank Mank is nominated for for best picture. Um, we also have The Father, which is uh, Olivia Coleman and Anthony Hopkins. Oh yeah. Um, Judas and the Black Messiah, uh, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, uh, and The Trial of the Chicago Seven. So. Looking at our list of Oscar bait movies and just from what we've heard about the, the people who are in those movies and what they're about, what do you think is going to win Best Picture? I think Minari might win. Okay. And the reason why I think I might win, and I think this is a political reason, okay, is because it is based on an Asian family, isn't it? Yeah. So why I think... Is that the right movie? For, the, for a similar reason, I don't think it is going to win is because 
we're the academy we just gave parasite an award that was from out foreign so i think that's mm-hmm. i think that's going to count against minari even though they're as far as i know i haven't seen it yet like very different movies well promising young woman i don't think is going to win mm-hmm. because i don't think the premise of that movie is going to sit well with the final judges okay. um especially since we discussed of how like you know they're kind of old and white <laughs> yeah like I, I, there, there aren't any up-to-date like diversity or like you know uh, figures are, are on who's like makes up the academy's membership but apparently it has gotten better at least if the people haven't their attitudes have somewhat i personally think it's probably going to be the father i think that a lot of oscar people or uh, academy members are older they might be it's so i actually have a list of the movies and what kind of oscar bait categories they fit into and I've written down that, you know, the father deals with Anthony Hopkins' character kind of responding to his dementia. And then Olivia Coleman I think, plays his daughter. And there's, it, it just, it seems right. It seems like something they're going to really, again, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm stereotyping a little bit, but they're going to relate to a lot more or be able to kind of, like, tune in on a bit more than Judas and the Black Messiah necessarily or Promising Young Woman, as you said. Yeah, or uh, Nomadland as well, because... Um... The actress in that's great, isn't Frances she? Frances McDormand, yeah. Frances McDormand, yeah. Um, now, I think uh, The Trial of the Chicago 7 has an outside chance just purely because it's about something in the 1960s. So it's got a lot, it's got a lot of edges to it, but it also, like, it, it works kind of in the same way Crash does, although from what I've heard, it's a much, much better movie, in that, like, it's not a comfortable pick, but it's not an easy one either, so it might be a kind of a compromise thing. And again... Th- as far as I know, like the Academy members aren't an amorphous blob. They don't meet up in a big room and decide, okay, what's going to win. They're all voting individually. So I am trying to speak to a kind of psychological sense from a large group of people. I will say that the uh, odds makers that I, I checked recently have Sound of Metal as the favorite, which is with Riz Ahmed, And it's about a, a metal drummer who starts to lose his hearing. And I, again, in the same way of Minari, I feel like that was not that exactly was done, but I feel like Whiplash was not that long ago that I think people might count that against it. Yeah. Um, I've seen mixed reviews as well for The Sound of Metal. Yeah, I again, I haven't really heard much about it. I know I know, Rizamid is in it. Rizamid is very good. So that's 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 all I have to say. Um, I, If I was to put money on it, I, I would put money on The Father. Um, I haven't seen any of these movies, so I can't tell you right now concretely what is my favourite. I probably would have seen them by the time this podcast comes out. So I might put it up on, on our Twitter and our socials which one I think is the best personally. But I think the father is probably going to be the, the award winner. Just if I, again, if I'm a betting person, that's that's my money. That's where I'm putting it on. Uh, what about you? Oh, hard to say. Um, I don't really know. I I better pick a different one to you, <laughs> <laughs> just so that we have something. Um, maybe I'll just go out there and say Mank because that's like very baity, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and maybe the maybe the Academy's feeling a bit lazy this year because you know COVID and it's a lot of effort to. I don't know, choose something different. And if they want to be cool and hip, it's a streaming movie and they can show that they're not against a very different thing. Now that might count against it, but you know, what I'm saying is that like, yeah. there there are things to mank as well, which might attract that kind of, I need to <laughs> like, be cool element, you know? Maybe Netflix has like bribed them enough, swayed their opinion to give Netflix a yeah, win. Yeah, <laughs> to be very clear, we don't mean literally bribed, we just mean like a very good for your consideration campaign. Like they're, they're, they're working well. Oh yeah. Um, Absolutely. They. It's not like Netflix would have sent like a basket of goodies to every Academy uh, judge <laughs> or anything. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm going to put yeah. my dark my dark horse pick for this is Nomadland. 
uh, because as you said, Frances McDormand is a very good actress and I haven't seen it. I just know the vague premise and it seems like something that probably won't win, but could win. Like it wouldn't surprise me if it won. So that's going to be my like dark horse, you know, put a euro on it each way kind of thing. My dark horse one is Minari, I think, uh, just because uh, there has been a lot of discourse about how how the Academy isn't inclusive. And I know Parasite won last year and like, wow, big shock. But there has been a lot of, conversations about like stopping asian hate and isn't i think minari is basically about asian hate isn't it i i honestly don't know i i as i said i haven't seen any of these movies i know very little about them yeah i don't know much about it either but i i watched the trailer for it because i'm going to watch it when i can access it on a streaming site and i was like oh it looks kind of like a movie that would have undertones of kind of racism in the community Mm -hmm. So those are those are our picks for, for what's going to win. Not what we think is the best because we haven't seen any of them. Pretty what we think is going to win. So I guess that's us for this week. Uh, Jill, do you have anything else? No. <laughs> anyway, thanks, thanks everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Random Questions Podcast. The podcast was edited by me, Rob, and was hosted by myself and Jill Kingston. The intro theme was done by JJ Lee, and incidental music currently playing was done by Kevin McLeod. For more info on the podcast and to stay up to date with new episodes, you can subscribe to us on most podcast apps, and you can follow us on Twitter at randomqspod. It's R-A-N-D-O-M-Q-S-P-O-D.